Welcome to the Baker Tilly U.S. podcast, an online community developed to connect you to our partners and leaders across the globe. Subscribe today to continue discovering new and unique ways that Baker Tilly can help enhance or protect your value as we discuss timely, relevant, and impactful topics. We recognize that the coronavirus is impacting state and local governments, schools, and utilities across the country. The COVID-19 crisis has challenged our world in ways we have never before experienced. In this podcast series, Communities, we will speak with Baker Tilly public sector leaders about practical guidance to help governmental entities navigate through reopening, recovering, and resetting so they can thrive in a post-pandemic environment. Hello and welcome to our Communities podcast series. Uh, I'm Chuck Rohr, the manager and firm director with Baker Tilly's public sector executive recruitment practice. And I'm here today with two of my colleagues, Sharon Klump and Edward Williams, to discuss the impact the coronavirus has had on recruiting and hiring for public government positions, including the challenges, trends, and leading practices. Many organizations need talent to fill key positions, such as city and county managers and administrators, attorneys, fire and police chiefs, and other departmental directors. So let's introduce our other speakers and dive right into this topic. Thank you, Chuck. This is Sharon Klump, and I have been working with public sector executive recruitment for over 15 years. I am based in Baker Tilly's St. Paul office. I love doing this work. It gets me in touch with my previous experience as a local and regional government manager. I am Edward Williams. I have more than 20 years of public sector experience, including working for a large state and a smaller municipal government organization. I've been in the executive recruiting business for a little bit over a year now, uh, as I transitioned into uh, this field. Um, This allows me an incredible opportunity to do what I've done for 20 years, but instead of one organization, I get to um, impact the most precious resource of an organization, and that is the human resource or the individuals who deliver services. Well, thank you, Sharon and Edward, and let's address some questions that might be on the minds of our listeners. The COVID-19 crisis continues to cause disruption to essential business processes. What are the top challenges impacting public sector organizations that need to recruit and hire key talent? Well, Chuck, I think that um, many people, and whether we're talking candidates or employers, All are very unfamiliar with virtual hiring. It's something that they haven't done before. I think people get accustomed to a traditional interview and they think about the nonverbal communication and cues, um, the ability to really welcome people. Much harder to do on a virtual interview. I agree, Sharon, exactly correct. Um, uh, There are also other considerations such as the fiscal impact or the fiscal implication um, of uh, an uncertainty in government today. I think 
at the end of the day, there is a need to guarantee safety um, above all, um, but maintain the fairness of a selection process um, and then obviously the validity of the, the virtual process. I think this includes compliance with open meet meetings or state uh, public records act um, type of regulations. I think there's also the, the issue of longer timelines as additional direct candidate contact may be required. I think also there may be a need to be more convincing to the finalists or to the applicants that is, it is in fact safe uh, to make a career move at this time. That's an excellent point, Edward. Now more than ever, employers need to understand uh, and, and recognize that taking a new position is a decision that impacts the candidate's entire household. So they need to feel safe. They need to feel comfortable about the community. It may be a good practice for employers to share information about schools or maybe employment opportunities for, for um, a, a, a candidate's family members. And, and that can be making those introductions and, and networking. And then, of course, there's always that concern of additional cost for doing a search. Uh, we're not seeing additional cost. Um, so far, we've been able to contain the cost associated um, with an executive search for our public sector clients. I think there is, uh, I'd like to just add one thing, Sharon. I think um, while we may not be seeing additional costs, um, one area where there may be an, an increase or a potential for additional costs um, is the need to, to, to spend more resources on advertising efforts or initiative, um, expanding the additional posting location. Um, and I think, um, although it is uh, an additional step, it certainly would not be an additional um, challenge, so to speak. Um, the other option is that governments may resort to internal searches or filling positions um, internally, while from a business perspective, uh, we may have, I think, less costs because of reduced travel and so on. Well, thank you both. Uh, let's move on to another area that might be of concern to our listeners. During this time of continuous change, has COVID-19 influenced position qualifications? And if you believe so, how so? Chuck, I think it may be safe to say that um, overall qualifications have not changed um, so much as what I call the soft skills or, or desired capabilities. For example, uh, I think organizations are now looking for candidates who are resilient, who can emphasize innovation and so on. Um, in addition to that, I think there is still a desire, uh, in fact, an expectation that our process will identify and ultimately present 10 to 15 well-qualified applicants, um, which is ultimately what we do in most instances. Um, in short, the qualifications have not changed. If anything, 
I think the expectation of having a large pool of well-qualified and available candidate continues. I agree, Edward. We are likely to see candidate pools continue at pre-COVID-19 levels, but given current trends, I, I suspect we won't see a huge increase uh, of candidates, but also we won't see a decrease. Edward, many of us are still working remotely from home. How are organizations leveraging technology to move forward with interviewing executives and potential candidates? Thanks, Chuck. That's a great question. Um, in fact, it's not only a question, it's a matter of what we're currently doing right now. But I think from an organizational perspective, um, the organizations must understand and accept or embrace, acknowledge um, that in fact the pandemic um, is and may continue to affect um, candidates as well. Um, one factor to consider as an organization is an understanding of the candidate's overall tolerance for on-site interviews um, that observe social distancing. Um, I think using technology allows for flexibility within the hiring process. One of the things that we have actually used and continue to use is um, a one-way video interview. And this is a process whereby we can send an applicant three written questions in a link, which they can comfortably use in the, in the comfort of their homes and their schedule. Um, to open that link and record their responses, kind of like a FaceTime uh, with themselves and the question. And once they finish the, the responses, those questions then go, uh, we can access a, a group of re recording, which we also use um, to present to our clients. Um, we can also offer what we call the virtual meeting rooms. And so a lot of companies or a lot of organizations like the idea of having multiple panels. So what we would be able to do is to offer or to allow a process that would be, for example, if you're hiring a city manager, some organizations may ask that you do a panel with department directors, another panel with employees, and some with a panel with community members. Well, in, in, in a pre-COVID world, that is a fairly easy thing to do. Um, we believe that it's still doable and we have the capability and continue to use the same premise, but virtually. Um, and we actually have found that to be a very effective alternative, which is simply to create safe virtual room for multiple different interview panel. Um, we can also and have also uh, offered an option um, to host a community or public forum or um, kind of a town hall, virtual town hall, if you would. Um, we've seen and have participated in, in several different options, if you would, um, that includes virtual community tours. And that's where you literally take a virtual tour finalist or um, to give them an opportunity to, to explore the community in a safe manner. 
Edward, your comments really underscore the fact that we are seeing a lot of creativity, uh, how people can turn to technology to be welcoming, to share their communities. A lot of good creativity out there, that's for sure. We are seeing many employers who are using the virtual interviews to help them pare down the number of people they bring to on-site interviews. So for example, they might begin with interviewing six or so finalists and following those discussions, they consider which two or three people they would like to bring in for on-site interviews. And then they look at large meeting rooms and how they can provide social distancing and wearing face masks. And as I talk with communities, I found that many are working with um, not only best practices through the CDC, but they are also looking at what their local practices are, mask mandates and, and so forth. So um, that's, that's been really important to observe the social distancing and wear face masks. Well, thank you, Sharon. A common question among organizations now is, will qualified applicants even apply? What are you seeing in the executive recruitment realm and are there any application trends you've noticed? Well, Chuck, that's interesting because I think it's been changing. At first, when the pandemic struck, we had many public organizations trying to figure out how to adapt to the new working environment. And in fact, some candidates were interested in positions, but they withdrew from consideration because they didn't want to leave their communities in the midst of a crisis. However, as we have been settling into the new normal, we're not seeing that quite so much. I agree, Sharon. Um, I think getting qualified applicants uh, still depends on several factors. Uh, I think they're still highly skilled and well-qualified applicants for most public sector executive level searches and, and opportunities. The challenge, however, is how do we maximize the use of our individual historical and collective network to ensure that those individuals are aware of the opportunities that are currently available in their field. Absolutely, Edward. Um, we really have to sell the professional, the professional leadership opportunities that are associated with a new job. Executive positions don't turn over a lot, and so if people have always felt this is a dream position, they, they tend to go for it because it just might not become available and there may not be another chance for them to be considered for the position. Absolutely. Um, I think one trend we're seeing also, Sharon, is the use of interim placement, um, whether from within the organization or from an external um, or interim placement service type of organization. Understandably so, candidates may be apprehensive to relocating in this environment. What strategies and best practices are you seeing in the sector to help facilitate a safe and attractive relocation opportunity for the selected candidate? 
Well, Chuck, I think it's always important for the employer to be in a position to facilitate the relocation. And many times there's an expectation that someone will be on board in a new position within 30 and 60 days, the family will move and everything will work smoothly. Actually, it often takes six months or more until the new executive and the executive's family have moved into and are established in the community. So right off the bat, it's important to find out what will impact a candidate and what entices the, the top candidate to make that move to do that relocation. Karen, and I'd love to add one thing because although it may not seem as a deal breaker, one way um, is to accommodate what we call those um, highly desirable candidates. Um, and it's to help that transition by providing uh, temporary housing or hotel type of accommodations. Um, and, and ultimately assess whether or not the position, um, if there is an immediate need to hire or to wait for 90 or 100 days when things economically um, and socially, if you would, um, improve. We believe that it's always a better idea to start the process soon because it does take a while. Well, as we move towards the end of our time, uh, Edward, are there any other important insights or observations to mention about COVID's uh, impact on public sector organizations as it relates to executive recruiting and hiring? Yes, sir. I think one important or challenges or opportunity is for organizations to evaluate alignment and examining potentially, consolidate, uh, potentially consolidating positions uh, in a short-term or even long-term basis, uh, recognizing that it may be necessary to reassess priorities, um, then proactively develop and uh, what, what, what we call an attractive recruiting strategy now and so, in other words, not wait until we are over this pandemic, but um, start the process now of, of establishing that strategy. Um, and then, you know, contact us if they have questions about how this can be done, because we believe there is a um, great opportunity to look at where, where an organization is at this time. Um, and start the process of identifying their human capital needs going forward. Okay, well, I want to thank uh, Sharon and Edward. I want to thank you both for sharing your experience and uh, your knowledge. It's been an insightful and informative conversation. And thank you to listeners taking your time to learn more about what's going on in the world of public sector executive recruitment during these uncertain and unsettling times. Stay tuned for our future communities podcasts on other timely topics for government, schools, and utilities. And in the meantime, feel free to reach out to anyone of today's 
podcast with questions or to continue the conversation. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly US wherever you get your podcasts.